Good morning. Uh, this morning's going to be a, a, a very personal message, so I'm talking a lot about what I went through, and I don't believe that the Lord would have me talk about it if there weren't some people that, that might be going through some of the same things. Uh, 1976. How many of you were alive in 1976? Yeah, bell-bottom jeans, <laughs> disco music, polyester leisure suits. Oh, yeah. Pet rocks. You remember pet rocks? Pet pe- people, I can remember going into department stores and, and, and they had displays up. It was, it was like buying a, a piece of jewelry, a pet rock inside of this case, and they're selling these pet rocks. I can remember this to this day. Uh, $10, $10 for a rock. And that might not sound like a whole lot today. Even $10 today is kind of stupid for a rock. But I looked it up last night, and $10 of 1976 money is 40 bucks today. Can you imagine people paying 40 bucks for a rock? Now, uh, my family didn't have that kind of money, so I, I never had any purebred rocks. Uh, I, 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 had to, I had to go catch mine in the wild. <laughs> I was eight years old in 1976. Uh, I know it. <laughs> they're, they're 52. Okay. Uh, I, was a, I was a carefree kid. I was one of those kids that, that thought that I should be a part of anything and everything that was going on. Uh, I didn't have any trouble going into new situations. I didn't have any trouble meeting new people. I was just one of those kids that was always there, always around, always wanting to know what was going on, always talking, always doing something. Uh, There was a situation, something happened in my life at eight years old. Uh, It was actually a confrontation with my, my father and in that moment, it, it, it started a domino effect in my life that changed the way that I thought about myself. Now, um, my mom is going to be listening to this, so let me just say right up front, my dad was a good man. My dad loved me. My dad was not abusive or anything like that. But like all of us that are parents, there are moments when, when, when we say or do something to our kids where we went just a little bit too far. You ever been there? If you haven't, you don't have any kids. You're lying. We went just a little too far. My dad went just a little too far. He, he, he was angry with me about something, and, and, and he said some things that shifted the way that I thought about myself. It changed the way I perceived who I was. In that moment, um, I suddenly felt like my dad didn't want me around. I suddenly felt like I wasn't good enough to, to, to do what we were doing at that moment. Um, the man who had been my, my hero for those years, it suddenly appeared that I couldn't do anything to please him. Now, that was my, my eight-year-old perception of what was going on. And it hindered me in, in such a way that even as I, as I grew up, every time something else would happen, I would go back to this, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm just not good enough. Oh, I'm not wanted here. 
I shouldn't be a part of this. And as, I, as, as I got older, um, I started thinking, well, maybe, because my, my dad was a, a superstar athlete in high school, that if I was good at athletics, that maybe he would, he would uh, be proud of me then because the, the enemy was already lying to me saying, your dad's not proud of you. Now, unfortunately, um, I didn't get my dad's genes. I got my mom's genes. So the, the superstar athlete thing never, never happened. Um, my mom was the homecoming queen, so I learned how to smile and wave. <laughs> I'm waving as the ball is going past me. I'm waving as the guy I should have been tackling is running by me, but I could smile and wave. If my dad was proud of me because of athletics, he, he never said it. In fact, the only thing that I can remember my dad ever commenting on me playing ball was when I was in the sixth or seventh grade and in Little League Baseball, and I slid into second base, and all these nice Little League fields that they have today, they didn't have that when I was growing up. I don't know what it was. They, I think they intentionally put dirt clods out there for the kids to slide on just for some kind of torture. So I'm sliding into second base, and I got a really nice raspberry right there on the side of my knee, and and it hurt. And I got up and I'm kind of limping around and kind of, you know, kind of rubbing on it. And this is what I hear from the stands. Quit acting like a baby and play ball. And I knew that voice. So the only time my dad ever commented to me about my, my, my athletic ability, he was embarrassing me in front of a whole group of people that came out to watch a ball game which just furthered the lie that I wasn't good enough, that I could never equal up to what he wanted from me. So much so that it's like, well, you know, why even try? So I just kind of quit trying to, trying to make my dad happy. But it had so affected me that that, that happy-go-lucky little kid wasn't there anymore. I was, I was so afraid of being rejected by people. Because what if they don't like the way I'm doing things? And suddenly I didn't feel like I should be anywhere anymore. I wasn't welcome to be wherever I wanted to be anymore. Something on the inside of me was still screaming, you're special. I wanted to be recognized but there was such a fear of rejection now that I would mostly hide from everything. I'd ask myself, what's wrong with me? Because I could remember being happy. I could remember not being afraid of people. What's wrong with me? Why did I feel so uncomfortable in my own skin? So we're in a lesson series called lies that we tell ourselves. And today's lie is I can handle rejection. And I'm not just talking about I didn't get the, the part in the high school play. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that, that that might not pile up on us, if, you know, if you keep getting rejected for certain things. But I'm, I'm talking about situations that have happened to us, whether as kids or even as adults, that it... it it knocked us off our axis. 
There was an event or there, there were multiple events where the enemy was allowed to come in and begin to lie to us and say, see, you're not good enough. See, nobody wants you around. See, your dad doesn't care. Now, this type of rejection, it can cause severe anger. Man, I had a temper. It can cause fear, guilt, shame, feelings of abandonment, unworthiness, and helplessness. So I want to show you three ways that rejection tries to control us, and then I want to show you what we can do about it, okay? All right. First way that rejection tries to control us, rejection convinces us of lies. The emotional wound that we receive through rejection makes us vulnerable to Satan's lies. John 8, says that he, this is Jesus talking about Satan, he has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, we don't even realize that we're listening to lies sometimes. It's just so softly spoken to us. You don't matter. It seems like it's just a thought that we had in our head, but it's really a thought that has been planted there by the enemy. Because God would never, ever tell you that you don't matter. And here's some lies that we start to believe about ourselves. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. If if there wasn't something wrong with me, then then my father, my mother, uh, whoever, they, they, they wouldn't be rejecting me. There's obviously something wrong with me. Here's one that I, that, that I fought. I'm not worth the effort. Really to the point of I'm not worth knowing. I lived a good portion of my life under the belief that nobody needed to know me because I wasn't worth knowing. That if I met you, you wouldn't remember my name anyway because I'm not worth knowing. I have to overcompensate to be noticed. So I found myself the class clown, hiding the insecurities through humor. Everybody that has a smile on their face, it doesn't mean everything's okay on the inside. And then there's lies that we believe about others. No one's going to accept me. You're not going to accept me. They're not going to accept me. People will try to hurt me. They have ulterior motives. Because of rejection, because I believe everybody's got a motive, I have trouble trusting. I can have a smile on my face. I can look at you. I can nod my head and the whole time be thinking, I don't believe a word you're saying. I don't trust you. I'm definitely not going to open up to you. And here's the lies that we've come to embrace. I don't care what people think about me. 
You ever heard somebody say that? When I hear somebody say that, I know it's a lie. I know they're dealing with rejection. I know something has gone on in their life because what they're really saying is, I want to care about it, but I've been hurt so much that I'm saying I don't care because if I act like I don't care and I say that I don't care, maybe it's true. And you can always tell. I've sat with so many people and I'll say, well, do you understand how people are perceiving you know, this in your life? And they go, I don't care what people think. If you didn't care, why does it cause such a, such a reaction, such a strong reaction? I don't care what people think. Yeah, we do. We were created to care. Now, I'm not saying becoming a people pleaser. That's not what I'm saying. But we do care what people think. Here's a great big lie. This is just the way I am. In other words, I can't change. I don't plan on changing. Don't try to change me. I can't change. But here's the issue. Uh, The rejection, it really starts to steal our identity. Several years ago, and this is going to be a weird story, but you just have to understand I'm a weird person, okay? Several years ago, I'm, I'm working in the backyard because my wife makes me do things like that. I hate yard work. AstroTurf it and forget about it, and I'd be okay with it. But we had trimmed some trees, and I'm, I'm dragging some of that brush around to our burn pile, and I'm reaching out, and I'm grabbing it, but I had a little tendonitis in my elbow. You ever had that tennis elbow? Little, And I'm pulling, and oh, oh, oh. And just out of my mouth, I said, Lord, why don't you do something about this? Oh, and he goes, why don't you use your left hand? I created you left-handed. <laughs> but see, that opened up a whole nother thing. When I was first starting to play baseball, you could go down and you could buy a cheap baseball glove for a righty. But it costs some money to get a left-handed glove. And I can remember my dad giving me a glove and him saying, well, you don't really know how to throw anyway. Once again, I know my dad loved me. But this is the way he was thinking. I'm not going to go spend X amount of money on a, on a nice glove. We don't even know if he's going to play beyond this year. So he can't really throw anyway, so we'll just give him this glove. And he said, if you get good at it, then I'll buy you a left-handed glove. And the thing is, uh, I never got the left-handed glove. So I learned to throw right-handed. It's become my stronger hand. So I'm just reaching out and grabbing that brush with my right hand, and God's using the moment to say, I created you differently. Be who I created you to be. And I had to stop in that moment and go, Lord, you did create me unique. You created me different. And I had to work through that with, my, with the Lord. All right, second way that rejection controls us. Rejection makes us live defensively. 
Rejection makes us live defensively because I'm the only one I can trust. Because I'm the only one I can trust. I have to do everything possible to keep everybody else at a safe distance. Even those that I have a relationship with are only allowed to come so close because I have to be my own defender. And I'm going to tell you, that's tough when you're married. You're dealing with rejection. You're dealing with being your own defender, and you're in a covenant relationship, and you're even thinking, well, I can't fully trust them. There's a situation going on. We can't be our own defender. Job 13.12 says your platitudes are as valuable as ashes. Your defense is as fragile as a clay pot. Whenever we try to be our own defender, we think that we're tough. We think that we're insulating ourselves. But the truth is, it's as weak as a clay pot. See, I thought I must emotionally and mentally defend myself. I must try to insulate my emotions so I could avoid pain. So a lot of times I was living in denial. The refusal to even acknowledge that I had feelings. Sometimes I would be emotionally passive. And then there's the flip side where I would get so angry just to push people away. There's a no-win situation here. And I developed an attitude of defense. I would sabotage relationships by rejecting them before they rejected me. I always wanted the relationship. And this is somebody living, I I didn't get saved until I was out of high school. But in high school, I had a string of relationships. And I would always break up before they could break up with me, even if I liked them. And I couldn't figure it out. Why? Why? Why am I sabotaging this relationship? Because I couldn't stand the thought of somebody else rejecting me, so I would just go ahead and reject them. I excuse myself from relationships by saying I'm too busy. And I've done that since I have been a pastor here at this church. When I became the executive pastor of the church six years ago, and I suddenly didn't have the the, the youth group around me to adore me and worship me, because you know they did, and I suddenly had to deal with adults all the time, oh, that, that was one of my biggest fears, dealing with adults. You know, you can talk down to somebody, and I don't mean talk down in an ugly way, but you can always minister to somebody younger than you. That's, that's a lot easier than trying to minister to somebody that's older than you. Connecting with somebody that's even on, at, on your same age level. So now I'm the executive pastor. I don't have the youth to hide with. I've got to deal with people. But it was amazing on Sunday mornings how many things I found to do. I had to be on a mission. And I can remember walking through this lobby one morning. I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission. And the Lord said, you're hiding from people. What? And I didn't even realize it. No, Lord, I, you know, somebody's got to unstop that toilet. 
Somebody's got to find more toilet paper. Somebody's got to do this. No, you're hiding from people with your busyness because you're afraid of rejection. Sometimes it can come across as a better than or a holier than attitude. And what it's really saying is I'm unapproachable. Just stay away. Just stay away, okay? And my, my actions would translate the, the message, stay away. The anger, the passive aggression, a passive aggression. Here's one. Come late to church and leave early. I did that for the first year we were at this church. Show up just about the time that, that the, the first song is, is, is coming on. Find my seat as far in the back as I could. And the moment that they said everybody bow their heads, man, I'm gone. Not because I was trying to beat the Baptist to the, to the restaurant, but because I didn't want to know anybody and they didn't need to know me. Because if they knew me, they would know how messed up I was. And I would be facing more rejection. All right, third way. Third way, rejection tries to control us. Rejection becomes an idol. I was an associate pastor at a church in the mid-90s. And the the senior pastor of the church, I, I looked at him as a father. He was, a, he was a, really a father figure in my life. He had sought me out to come to his church. He had sought me out to be a part of his staff. Acceptance. Man, and I just grabbed hold of it with everything that I could. And I'm telling you, I became his most staunch supporter. Even when there was things going on that I questioned I would always think, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just young and stupid. I don't have the experience that he has, so it's got to be me. It can't be him. And if somebody in the church would question me about some decisions that, that he was making, obviously they were sent from the devil. How dare you question the man of God? I mean, I stood behind him, and, and I'm, being, I'm being really honest here. I stood on the platform of that church, and I said, I am going to support this pastor no matter who's behind it, chaps. Because somebody had accepted me, and I was going to hang on to that. The problem was when I needed his support, some things kind of went sideways. And I needed his support. It wasn't there. Didn't even come and ask me my side of the story. And I found myself being excused from the church and kicked out of the parsonage. So now I've been rejected by two father figures. And I'm telling you, this second time sent me into such a spiral that I vowed to never go to church again. I vowed to never have anything to do with God again. There was so much rejection and so much hurt 
Don't talk to me about God. Don't talk to me about church. Just stay away from me. And even when I kind of got over, well, you know, I, I guess I need to go to church, it was still, there was just still this, this rejection just all balled up and bottled up on the inside of me. I had started worshiping the rejection. It had become an idol in my life. Idolatry is when I look to something other than God for that which only God should, should provide. And I begin to worship my own hurt, my own pain. Psalm 16, 4 says, Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. Now, we wouldn't admit, and I would not have admitted that I was chasing after another god, but what I was doing is I had make my, made my pain, I had made my experience more important in my life than God. And my troubles multiplied. Our pain only increases as we are more active in protecting ourselves. Here's, here, here's a couple of signs that I'm trying to, to protect myself. What's my source of truth? Have I made the lie? Have I made the rejection? Have I made the hurt more important than what God is saying? And the second is, what's my source of comfort? Do I believe the lie? What's my source of truth? Do I, do, do I believe the lie or do I believe God? And what's my source of comfort? Have I made protecting myself and insulating myself my own source of comfort? So there is a solution. They thank God. There is a solution. Here's the first one. Repent. I had to repent. I needed to think differently so I could live differently. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, now, uh, I don't know if God ever tricks you into things or if I'm just the one dumb enough to fall into it. I don't know. When I first became the youth pastor uh, of this church, it's like we have to have a cool name. We have to have a cool name. Corey had his cool name. I get my own cool name. And you know what we call the youth group? 12-2 from Romans 12-2. So much cooler than 212. So much cooler than 212. <laughs> Mine was from the Bible. Theirs is how hot water has to be to boil or something like that. <laughs> so we named the youth group 122. I quoted this scripture over and over and over and over again. People say, what does 12-2 mean? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We would talk about it all the time. And then come, came the day when the Lord said, when's it going to be real to you? When's it going to be real to you? When are you going to stop being conformed, pressed, molded, into what this world says. 
See, I'd always taken it about, well, stay away from sin, don't act ugly. No, attitudes, thoughts, the way that we respond being conformed to the way the world responds to things, but be transformed. That word transformed in the Greek is metamorpho. Metamorpho, the same word we get metamorphosis from. And the Lord was saying, stop thinking like that and be metamorphosized into who I've created you to be. Think this way. How do you do it? By changing, by changing, changing the way that you think, your mind being renewed. So repent. Don't be pressed into the mold. But be metamorphosized. And here's the second thing, and this is, this, this is really kind of the hardest one. Forgive. The moment I started engaging with the Lord in this, he reminded me. Because I was like, Lord, why? Why do I, why do I have so much turmoil in, 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 in my mind, in my emotions? Why do I have so much turmoil? And he took me back. He showed me. That situation when I was eight years old. And I went, wow. That's when it started. That's when it started. And I had to forgive my dad. Unfortunately, he had already died by this time, so I didn't get to go to him. But I had to forgive my dad. He did not intentionally harm me, but even if he had, I had to let go of it. I had to, to forgive him. Third thing is we need to allow God to be our source of truth. The only way to fight lies is with the truth. And the only real truth is God's perspective of the situation. Not our perspective, not the way that I see it because of what I've gone through, but God's perspective of the situation. John 8, 32, you've heard this many, many times. It says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Whose truth? God's truth. When you know God's truth, it's going to begin to set you free. That is the first place of being metamorphosed. That's where our mind begins to be changed. Where we begin to be renewed, we begin to know the truth. And Jesus also said in John 18, 37, he said, Actually, Jesus speaking, actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to truth. We need to know God's perspective. And then we need to allow God to be our source of protection, our source of comfort. Me protecting me hasn't gone all that well. Psalms 18.2 says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. The power that saves me and a place of safety. Before that time... I would say, I'm my rock, I'm my fortress, I'm my protection, I'm my shield, I'm my place of safety. But the Lord began to change the way that I thought about it because that's the role that he wants to fill in our lives. 
I was eight years old when rejection first lied to me. I was 29 when the lie was reinforced by a deep church hurt. I was 45 when I finally allowed God to do a deep work in my life. That's 37 years of carrying pain, 37 years of false truth, 37 years of trying to protect myself. And it's 37 years of me not being the real me. In the last few years, it's been a process of healing, trusting, learning to be vulnerable. When you've been rejected, being vulnerable is the hardest thing to do. Not only learning to be vulnerable, but rediscovering the me that God created. I still have my moments, and I have to stop myself and go, wait a second, that's, that's not God thinking. That's not God reacting. But I'm so much further down the road because I allowed the Lord to begin to change the way that I thought. The Lord has dug me out of under a mountain of rejection And as John 8 says, when the Son has set you free, you are free indeed.